Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with Goals. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Apologies for the interruption last week when you had to uh, make do with Max Rushton, although I'm sure a lot of people a lot of people enjoy that. Who am I to judge? We all have different tastes in the bedroom and in our podcast as well. One of my guests would be funny, and that would be you, Tony Cascarino. Do you dispute that, that we all have different tastes? Absolutely. The variety, uh, what is it? Spice of life, isn't it? Variety. Variety is the spice of life, as is Max Rushton. We kid because we love, from the wonderful town of Barry St. Edmunds, it's James Scowcroft. My third guest, it's the excellent Rory K. Smith. Hi, Gab. Coming up, we'll be discussing who deserves the accolade of PFA Player of the Year. And I'll include my standard reminder about why this is different from the other Player of the Year award and why this award is really just generally a joke. We're also going to go through all the weekend's action, and we need to start at the King Power. Right, Leicester City and West Ham, it's inevitable. I think rarely have I seen a referee so talked about after a game in which... Arguably, I think he made mistakes that affected both sides, and we probably ended up with a reasonably fair result. Some people might dispute that. Uh, Rory, you tweeted, you, you sent out a, an uncharacteristically angry tweet, I think, after the game, which I retweeted, which I, I forget the, the, the context, but you sounded like somebody who was just annoyed with seeing John Moss. No, well, I'm glad you think it was uncharacteristically angry, Gab. I'm always worried that my social media presence is unnecessarily aggressive. No, I wasn't angry particularly. I just I thought it was a really clear example of, and this is something that I think a lot of referees do, where kind of half, two half penalties seem to add up to a penalty. So for me, the Vardy one wasn't half a penalty. It wasn't even half a penalty. It just was not a penalty. And I know I'm surprised, actually, that so many people, that there is such a split in opinion. The, um, Wait, there are people who think that that Vardy, you're talking about no, the sorry, I don't mean Vardy. I mean the 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 the, the, the schlup one, the schlup oh, the one schlup, Carol. Okay. Uh, and I was really surprised that that people seemed to think that there were people, including I think at least one of the two pundits on Match Today too, Hesty and Henri were split on Sky as well. That, that I was surprised that there was that split in opinion. To me, that just was not a penalty. I think that you could see it being given as a free kick elsewhere in, on the pitch but you'd think it was a really, really soft free kick. All right, well, we have a golden opportunity here, but we can kind of describe the dynamic. As, and, I, and I guess it's as good a place to start uh, as any to start at the end. Leicester are, are 2-1 down. Uh, Schlupp takes the ball right into the penalty area. He has a defender ahead of him. Andy Carroll sort of comes over, 
to to help defend. I get the impression that at this stage, Andy Carroll doesn't necessarily doesn't want to tackle him or anything. He's just kind of there to put a big body to sort of shepherd him, shepherd him wide, maybe shepherd him into uh, in, in, into the defender. Uh, Cass, you're nodding. Is that accurate? Can you describe um, why a striker is in that is in that situation? Is that what you'd expect him to do? Well, I think because you're winning the game and you're obviously getting all hands to the pump, you get centre forwards will get themselves into areas where normally they wouldn't be. Why? Extra body. Right. Extra body to defend. I mean, do you remember when Emil Heskey against France conceded the, the penalty? What year was that? Where he's gone into the 18-yard box and brought down a player. And, 2004. Yeah, was it 2004? And, you know, a forward being in an area that normally he right. wouldn't be in. I think but he knows certain, this. Did he, do yeah. so, did, he, did he do something wrong? No, I just think he's watching me, He's just, just standing there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, the challenge was not... It wasn't... He, I mean, Rory's described it as, you know, there isn't a debate. Our two ex-professional footballers, and I hope James is not going to turn around and say that was a penalty, because I just... Are we going to name names who they are? Or are we going to just keep saying, well, Heskey and Henri were split, and Shearer and Ian Wright were split, as Rory did. That's only because I can't remember which one was which. I think Heskey agreed with me, didn't he? And Henri said it was a penalty. I just find that unbelievable as ex-sportsmen, that you could consider that's a penalty. You've been in that situation. I'm assuming you're assuming you've won penalties and you've been the striker coming back to help out a defender late, late in yeah, the game. Yeah, I think you've just hit the the nail on the head with with the detail. As a striker coming back, eight times out of ten, you're the wrong side, aren't you? Yeah. That 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 creates after problem. Is it a penalty? You know, Rory goes back to it's a free kick anywhere else on the pitch. Maybe it's that's what I'm really saying. Free kick anywhere else on the pitch, but. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where in the rules does it say? Well, in this certain part of the pitch, it's a free kick. But in this part, of why the pitch, is it a it's free not... kick anywhere elsewhere on the pitch? Because I think it's one of those that if it's in your own half or it's on the halfway line, you, you think just... that's a foul? Not really, no. But okay, so it's not a free kick if it's not a foul. We see a lot of free kicks given for things like that, where people bump into each other, and the referee just thinks, you know what, it's easy to give a free kick. A bad referee, maybe, or a referee having a bad day. I should. But it's not I should... a penalty. It's but yeah, not... but that's that's so that's my point. I think that the issue there isn't the, the decision. Fine, let's call it debatable. Let's say that was debatable. Let's say the the modern one on Winston Reid was debatable. Let's say the one on Robert Hoof was debatable. But the the problem that I have, and the, the thing that didn't make me angry, but the thing that I remarked about is that the point of penalties is not that you can win them in increments. You can't have like, well, that's a bit of a penalty and that's a bit of a penalty, so the Although, next one I'll give them. It funnily enough, like you can have bookings in increments because I, 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 one of the people I, I speak to on Twitter is a, is a referee and, uh, um, and he DM'd me and said that the first booking on Vardy, which, which ultimately mm. is what changed the game because obviously mm. the second one, nobody's going to argue that he took a dive, I would hope, except for Vardy himself once he... Mm takes his medication. But the first one, it looked very, very soft, if you can cast your mind back to that. Yeah, I can, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I was point, it was pointed out to me, and I hadn't noticed this at the time, that it was like his third foul in the space of like 90 seconds, and that it was actually a booking for, yeah. for, for persistent fouling. Yeah, but no, one, but no one's debating that persistent fouling is a, a yellow card-worthy offense. It is, it's in the rules. Right. But persistent almost giving away a penalty is not an offense. No, I, I agree with you there. Let's talk about this, about the set pieces again, because I was asked last night about the, the Winston Reed penalty, Wes Morgan on Winston Reed. You know, is that a penalty? And I think it's one of those situations where, in isolation, yes, it is always a penalty. It's very obviously a penalty, even though I think Reed doesn't do much to stay on his feet, but maybe he doesn't need to. Within the context of that game and what was going on in that game, it's probably not a penalty. And... One of the explanations I heard on television was that 
Moss's idea of handling this was to give verbal warnings. It struck me as the classic, like, I don't want to spoil the game. So throughout this game, I'm going to keep giving players verbal warnings. What's well, a little bit like when you talk to your kids, right? Some verbal warnings actually work. And others, after a while, they're just like, oh, he's not going to do anything. Mm. Right? I mean, you're not a young cast. Is that how you saw it? You've been in this situation? Well, I, I don't want to go too much off direction here, but I watched the Sunderland-Norwich game, and there could have been a whole load of penalties in that game. Could have been five penalties. And then on the Sunday, I get to watch Leicester-West Ham, and I think... When you do, as you just said, on that isolated incident with Morgan and Reed, you could say, yes, that's a penalty. But if you froze the, the frame of everybody in that 18-yard box, you yeah. could argue that five or six players on either side are guilty of contact or fouling an opposing player, forward or defender. Gab, I've done an article on it about three weeks ago, talking about one of the biggest problems that football is facing. It's a penalty and it's a sending off. Because we, we are now getting referees who are just guessing. And like Rory touched on, evening things up. We are getting to that stage where it's getting ridiculous, the amount of penalties that are deciding the outcome and sending off for football matches. Scoey, you were in the box as a, as, as, as a striker. And you occasionally, defended, yeah. Yeah, occasionally. Um, how do you decide if you're going to put your hands on your opponent, if you're going to shove them, if you're going to pull them? I mean, what makes you do that? Well, there's many different factors with that, isn't it? it it's who you're playing, the time of the game, if their movement's good. Let's um, imagine you're marking Cass. Cast okay. now or cast then? <laughs> well, can I just, before James says something, right. as a forward, I can make him foul me. That is where we are. Where I could get underneath him. You mean I today? Could, yeah, today. You know, like if I was, so I could say, I know where James is. I know he wants to get as close as he can, as tight as me. But if I move into him to get my body around him, he is, to stand his ground, he's going to have to sort of make, make some sort of contact with me. Right. Which is very easy to do because lots of forwards are doing that, James. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is there's many different phases to it as well. So yeah. if, you, if you look at it, you, you could, in this example here, you could give the free kick or the penalty either way, whatever way you look at it yeah. and whatever split second you look at it as well. So for me, it, it will never happen but if you were refereeing that, your experience, you'd be able to call that straight away. You'd be able to deal with it straight away because you've been in that situation probably three or four thousand times. Mm. Well, hasn't yeah. John Moss been in that situation three or four thousand? I mean, I, I'm assuming. No, no, he hasn't. He hasn't played the game, Cass. He doesn't know. John Moss hasn't played the game. You know, I, I don't want to be. That's a sixth sense of a, a yeah. professional footballer. I, I just wonder if maybe we need something a little more objective. Because I, I completely take your point about, about what you're saying. Listen, everybody who's played the game at, at no. any level, even those of us who played it in school, know what it's like. And I'm assuming John Moss probably played it in school or in the sandlot by his house or whatever. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. Right at the end of my career, I played for Crystal Palace. And um, under Neil Warnock, Sproni was a goalkeeper and he would kick the ball to me. He wouldn't throw the ball out, kick the ball to me. And what I found referees doing is they would ball watch. They would look at Julian Sproni taking the goal kick and then their head would turn and at the last minute see maybe the fifth or sixth foul and that possibly would be me trying to get back in front of the defender or vice versa and I'm saying to the referee don't look at the goal kick that's fine he's going to kick the ball you don't need to look at him look at this area here and I can see it here where he's probably looking at the is it Cresswell or someone's taking the corner kick yeah. and as he pans around oh that's a penalty but look at the bigger picture. So while the ball's in the air, Lee Cattermole is basically punching you, pulling your testicles and everything. Yeah, and then, you and then all of a sudden, yeah. exactly, and then Scoey gets caught by the evil Lee Cattermole. Well, well, that's what happened with Robert Hoofs. The challenge, he's getting clearly fouled in the yeah. early part of the corner. But by the end of the corner, the arms are off and now he's falling to the ground. Yeah. And the referee's ball watch for the corner. Okay, so 
Right, one obvious solution, and I think I can say it because Henry's not here to mock them as lollipop men, is obviously additional <laughs> assistant referees because, you know, there's only one Moss and there's a bunch of players in, in the pitch. And even though I would expect John Moss to have slightly better peripheral vision than he did, that can be part of it. One other solution could be what if we simply said, I think this is like a, an, an old Patty Barkley idea, but what if we simply said, you can lead into each other all you like. You can run into each other, right? What you can't do is you can't raise your arms because that's something, that's how you hold, right? If your arms are yeah. by your side, it's kind of, it's a lot more difficult to hold somebody. And yet we see that all the time where you put your arm out, you, you know, you, you, you check the opponent's run or whatever. I mean, that's is that... one of the most ridiculous things I think I've ever heard. How do you get your balance if your arms are down by your side? You're going to move. So that ball comes in at a split second and I've got to move. I've got my arms on the side. I'm not in balance. When you, you run, your arms naturally move. When you move, your arms naturally move. So when you, you say to somebody, okay. yeah. jump, keep well. your arms by your side. No, uh, Scully, I think you're kind of missing the point. Am I? Uh, yeah, because most of these fouls don't actually happen when people are running. So, so most of these fouls to, are happening when it's stationary. Obviously, if you're running, then your arms may well be by your side. So what, what, what would happen is you'd, the players have to say... But we're talking about holding before, excuse before me, the free kick comes in. When is the point where I can actually move my arms? Oh, thanks for that. I'm free now. Gab, I think that the, the issue with... with is the same, to an extent, it's the same with handballs. As soon as you get into, into kind of unnatural positions and ball by, by your side and making yourself bigger and all that stuff, there's too many grey areas. And I think... The holding one. The, so the issue is that, that I think a lot of people feel that, that holding at free kicks and corners should always be a penalty. But the, the problem there is you, you have to introduce that at the start of the season. John Moss can't unilaterally decide. Well, he can, you can introduce it at the start of a game, though. Because yeah, well, I'll tell you what, the very first time yeah. Moss did that, especially with his, with his proclivity for makeup calls, if he does that with the very first instance in the game and gives a penalty... We don't have all these other weirdo penalty incidents and you know, Bonna getting inside Huth's shirt and the other one getting him in a headlock, right? Yeah, that's that, well, possibly. But then equally, you have another example of, of Moss. Basically, it seems that he got annoyed with the, with the persistent holding and, and decided, right, I'm not going to give a penalty for one of them. And then kind of lost his nerve and didn't give a penalty to Huth, even though I suspect he knew it was a penalty. What you're relying on is, re- is, is that, old, that old, unsolvable dilemma between do you want referees who referee with common sense or do you want referees who referee consistently? Mm. And it's really difficult to, to get that balance right. So John Moss had a really poor game. I thought Henry was quite harsh on him in, in the paper today, I've got to admit. He had a really bad game. Uh, I don't think he's particularly inept, John Moss. He's, he's no Lee Mason. But they, they have such a difficult job whereby the players spend 90 minutes trying to get whatever advantage they can out of the referee. And then we blame the referee entirely for, solely the referee, for, for kind of falling for this sort of trickery that the, uh, play, that the players are indulging in. And it, it is essentially impossible to judge that. Do you say every single incident of holding is a penalty? Because what happens is you could end up with, with 10 penalties in a game for quite a long time because players will think, well, maybe this referee won't do it. One thing that was very common in the game a few years back, and I'd still like to think it was the same today, is that if referees call the two captains in before the game, and say, look, I'm going to be really strong on holding in the corners, set pieces. If I see fouls, I'm going to give penalties. You warn the two captains. They go back to their dressing rooms and they say to their players, referees just told us, if we grab, hold, and we're looking to get any advantage, he's going to blow up. Right. Now, and you started before from, the game. Right, but, but for the thing is, Cass, 
A, he might well have done that. But B, on every set piece from the very first one in the game, he that's exactly what he was saying. He was kept mm. warning everybody. So it's kind of like you can say that, right? But if you yeah. don't follow through on your threat and people see they get away with it, then very soon... But the problem with that is if it happens... It's a fine line. I think I think common sense is the best way where... I'm sorry, are you, are you, are someone, sorry footballers if, like Pavlov's dogs, if you see that he's calling it, you change your behaviour accordingly. You don't think professional how, footballers today... How do you change today? your behaviour? How? You don't, it's risk and reward, OK? So I'm marking Cass. Cass is an expert in the air, and I'm right. picking him up. I will now reveal something. I spoke to somebody who was involved in that game yesterday. I will not say who, so don't shout out names. And he said the guy wasn't calling it. It was an absolute free-for-all. Right, so you go on because the reality is, if you're marking and I'm going to, well, it's bad officiating. If you've got Huth and Carroll there, the only way you're going to be able to stop these people is by getting an edge. And if the referee's not calling it, and they're and the attacking players are trying to get an edge on you as well, and if the referee's allowing this, and he completely lost control. Listen, I'll give you an insight. So if I'm marking Cass here, okay, we're at a corner here. Is a very, 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 very good in the air. Now, if I let him go four or five yards away, and I've got my hands down my side, like you say, and I'm, I'm not going to move, I'm not going to touch him. If he's four and five and yards puts, away from you, it doesn't matter where your hands are. What you're not allowed to do is to put your hands on his body. I don't understand the, 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 this business with the hands at your side. Well, I'm, I'm, listen, hear right. me out. So the ball comes on my head, so eventually I've got to get my arms up. Yes. Because if not, he's going to come right through him, score a goal, but also put me in the net as well. So for protection, I'm going to have to get my arms up. Is that is that okay? He's not that much bigger than you are, but yeah. Okay, from, a running, from a running jump, he would be. Well, you can take a running jump the other way and try I, to I, head I, the I ball away. I've got my arms by my side, mate. I can't, what are you, a child? All I'm saying is, Scully, you can't stand <laughs> next to him and have your what arms on his body. If he's four five, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. This does my head in. This is like the zonal marking argument with the running jump and everything, right? It's pure, simple physics. If the guy is four or five yards away from you, you can do whatever you want. You can wave your arms in the air like you don't care. You can do whatever you, whatever you like, right? What you're not allowed to do is stand next to him and have your arms on his body. I'll give you an insight into the dressing room here and it would have happened to him and it's happened to me. There is nothing worse than your man scoring from a corner from a corner or a set piece, especially if it loses you the game and you walk in and you've got a manager in a high-pressure situation and you've got players, your teammates that you've let down. Now, if that might be a case of I've got to get close to you and I might just tug your shirt. That's just fine. A bit, but yeah. That is. You also don't want to... You also, yeah, yeah, yeah well, no, absolutely. Me, but yeah. the, uh, I also assume that... You Sorry, don't, lads, you don't... I've lost my man. I know it's cost us £150 million, in, right. but I just didn't want to tug his shirt because I was okay, fighting. Yeah, all right, all right. But then by the same token, it depends on the environment the referee sets because you also presumably don't want to be the guy. You don't want to be Angelo Bonna wrestling somebody to the ground in a full Nelson and giving away a penalty that, oh, sorry, lads... I didn't know how to stop when the ball was. I wasn't confident enough in my leaping ability. And so I gave away an idiotic penalty after the referee warned me. It works both ways. People will do what they can get away with. We're, Sorry, we're, in, a, we're in a position in, in football where referees are afraid. It's quite clear that yesterday you might say, oh, he's brave to give that penalty. But he was afraid from the very instant part. No, the I, guy, the, they felt that he was a referee that could be intimidated and taken advantage of. By well, both teams. I, that was obvious yesterday, Gab. On the refereeing point, Rory, I, I think there's another issue. Nobody would suggest that John Moss is one of the top five referees in the Premier League, or indeed what, mm. probably one of the, he's not one of the top ten either, right? Mm. And nobody would suggest that Roger East is either, right? And I look at this, and I always kind of assumed PGMOL would go and appoint referees based on, all right, this game is important, this game is difficult because it's a derby or whatever. Do you guys, Roy, who was the referee in, in Norwich? Uh, Andre Mariner. 
Okay, so Andre Mariner, most people would have him as one of the top half dozen referees in the Premier League. So he gets a big, important game like Norwich Sunderland, right? Frankly, Watford against West Brom, you know, we could send our producer Dave to go and referee that because it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. And also because of his natural charisma. And because of his... Who, who refereed that game? Can you look it up? Do you, do you mind looking it up? Do you have a copy of the paper there? While he looks it up, why for a game like this... And you could make the point about Friend, who was originally picked to do the Spurs game on Monday. These aren't particularly highly rated Premier League referees. Why are they getting these big games at this stage of the season? Well, it's because the, it's because PGO Moel doesn't like to make it too obvious that there are certain ones who are considered better than others and they like to spread to spread it around it may also in the case of um leicester west ham it depends when they made the appointments doesn't it no well they make the appointment 10 days before roughly. So, yeah, so, in that so, case, so you would have known that you would have known it would be an, an important game it was yeah. important for for both games and actually i disagree pj moel know exactly they they, oh, they 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 do that they they, they that, that's why they have a ranking yeah but i, I don't think they, they well, i'm not saying it's right but they don't give the impression that they want to say, right, well, look, Plattenberg, Ah, uh, Sorry, can I jump in there? Sorry, some, he's just... James Scowcroft has just mouthed something at me. Yes, the referee for the for the West Brom-Watford game, which is basically a totally irrelevant game, right? Dead Nobody, rubber. Right? Mm. Was who? Michael Oliver. Michael Oliver. Michael Oliver, who most people would say is definitely in the top 10, maybe even mm. higher, right? Yes? I'd agree. This is what I don't understand. Why are you sending Michael Oliver to that game I'm not sending him to to something else. I I, I don't because you want referees to improve and you want them to handle the. No, the I don't want referees. Okay, this is nonsense. I want referees to improve. I don't want refer, referees to improve at the expense of of the title race or the Champions League race. I don't know. I just think this was a very odd weekend where you would think that in the title run there aren't that many important games. Anyway, um, I suppose we've spoken more than enough about this. And this is funny actually because. Regular listeners uh, of the game podcast will note that uh, we normally talk about two games at the start. We're about to talk about Norwich and Sunderland. Today's that rare week where we don't actually talk about any big four, big six teams at the top. So please enjoy this. Hang on, we just we just talked about Leicester. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, top six by budget and fan base. You know what I mean, Rory. Norwich and Sunderland. Uh, Rory, let's start with you. You were there. I watched this game from my holiday before I, I boarded a plane because I was really excited. I love the drama of this stuff. I love to see the players when they go out on the pitch. And while... Where were you on holiday? Sorry? Where were you on holiday? I was on holiday in the volcanic island of Tenerife. Lovely. Did you have a nice time? I was in Adeje. Yeah, I know it. Right. Scoey's familiar with where I was on holiday. Is Scoey and Chaz, is, um, is Jab tanned? He's got a bit. I didn't know if it's high blood pressure. Yeah, or I was going to say he's got a red so. face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's listening to this nonsense about arms by your side thing. <laughs> you brought that one up. Yeah, did I you have your that. arms by the side when you were sunbathing? That is the, that is the best position to sunbathe in, though, isn't it? To be exactly. fair, you don't want your arms up when you're sunbathing. He, he didn't have his arms at the side at the dinner queue. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go on? It's your show. Seriously, like pots and kettles here, Scully. You know, <laughs> Scully got got paid to train and work out for most of his life, and like you know, you're not exactly Mr. Svelte, okay? <laughs> You're not exactly. It's you don't exactly have Stan Collymore sculpted body. I was going to say, are we going Lescott and Stan Collymore here on live <laughs> on the podcast? Can we know. talk about Let's... the Lescott Stan Collymore thing, by the way? W- sorry, can we talk about the Lescott Stan Collymore thing? Yeah, it's it's not we will get to it in quick hits. Okay. 
Rory, you were at the Norwich and Sunderland game, and you felt the need before to go and complain about your accommodations and everything, or at least note your accommodations. But I understand you stayed in a hotel with a swimming pool. Is that right? It, well, it, I was a bit disappointed with the pool. I really, I, I, I was away all last week, and I hadn't been been for a run, and I meant to be doing a half marathon at the end of May. So I wanted a gym, and I noticed that it had a pool, and I thought well, that'd be nice to have a bit of a change to do a bit of swimming. But it wasn't really a sort of, it wasn't a lap pool. It was kind of a like a pool for kids. It was annoying. Okay, nobody really cares about that beyond what we've already discussed. So can you please talk about my impression watching this game? And while I did have a tiny soft spot for Sunderland here, and I'll confess it, maybe it's because they had uh, two talented Italian players in their starting 11. Maybe it's because of my, my big Sam fetish. But I thought Norwich played played really, really well. I love Redmond, too. I would have started him mm. earlier. I thought it was one of those games where it really was kind of nerves. Yeah, Allardyce said afterwards that he thought Sunderland handled the pressure better. Ne- Alex Neal sort of dismissed that entirely. But I've got to admit, I agree with, with Allardyce. I think Sunderland looked like they knew what they were doing. They looked mm. calmer. Norwich did play quite well without really carving out that many decent chances. It was one of those games where they had the balance of play because Sunderland were leading. I think, more than because they were the better side. To be honest, it was the best result. The Norwich fans obviously won't agree with that, but in terms of the relegation battle, it was the best result because if Norwich had won, that would have killed it. That would basically have been Norwich essentially clear, Uh, whereas this way, all three of them are in it. One thing that that struck me on the first goal, uh, on the penalty, the wisdom on, on, on Fabio Barini, there were some people suggesting that because he got the ball, that was not a penalty. I, I don't know what kind of psychopaths. Nobody wants to go and argue that there's any debate about that, right? No, that was a penalty yeah. every day of the week. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at MintMobile.com. It was actually quite a very reckless challenge. And 
saying you might say he didn't show much wisdom there (laughs) it was a really poor challenge in the fact that he didn't need to if he stays on his feet and just gets close to Barini and makes him make a decision wins the ball he touches the very top part of the ball but the challenge is a follow through and Barini probably slightly lucky it wasn't a little bit higher because it certainly would have broke his leg and deservedly and rightly so I, I thought Sam outwitted Alex Neal totally in the match. Really? I, I was like you, you mentioned Redmond. Uh, when I saw Redmond not in the lineup, I thought, he's their most effective player. He's the guy that can get past people, he'll shoot from distance, he'll cause a few problems. I know he can be hit and miss sometimes, but I just don't see Norwich getting goals very easily. He, he, Nathan Redmond does not seem to be an Alex Neal type because no. he hasn't played that no. much. I think his end season. product has always been yeah. in doubt. So I live in the area, but. I'm aware of Norwich. I've seen Norwich a few times and, and know some Norwich fans. And You probably hate them, right, given your past? I don't really get involved in that, but I think it's you always... You them. You laugh at them. It's always been his problem. He's a very exciting player. He can do some wonderful things, but it's his end product. And I think maybe you look at him as a big game like that where it's tense and nil-nil. We'll bring him on in the second half. I just felt the first goal was massive, wasn't it? Yeah, it did. Like that. I've got to be honest. I thought Defoe was superb. Yeah, I thought he played absolutely for someone who's five foot what seven eight. The way he held the ball up, brought people into play, making runs. He's thirty two. He came back from Canada. He looked like he was washed up. He looked like he was slightly not in the right condition. I thought Defoe done brilliant in that particular game. And what, what was weird about the, about the way Sunderland set up was that I agree with Tony. I think I thought Defoe was excellent. I thought Barini was excellent. Mm. But. What was weird about the way, the way they set up was that their their plan for the certainly for the first half until they did sit back and counter was let's launch long diagonals towards Jermaine Defoe and he, he did very well but that is a weird way to play when you've got Jermaine mm. Defoe up from. Well, wasn't the idea behind that uh, a way to, to to try to pin the um, the fullbacks back for for Norwich? Possibly, but then I don't think Norwich is... Well, Martin Olsen's a threat. I don't think Wisdom's particularly a threat. Wisdom's delivery is terrible. But, yeah, Olsen, you can make the argument. Um, although, funnily enough, Defoe seemed to spend most of his time pulling off, pulling off Wisdom rather than off, off Olsen. So the, the, ball, the, the, the diagonals were kind of right to left rather than left to right. But it just seemed a strange, quite ineffective way of playing. And, and the, the, goal, the first goal was crucial, as Cass said. But before that, you, you didn't actually look at either team and think you've got a plan about how you're going to score. Was there a foul on the second goal on, uh, on yeah. Passong? That was a foul. Mm. Uh, so it was another refereeing error. Yeah, it, it was a foul. I, but you sometimes get given them. It's uh, I thought they took the maximum. I think Sunderland got the absolute maximum out of a game where Norwich got poorer as the game went on. They never, ever really looked like they were going to get past Sunderland's back line. Just didn't. I mean, I don't know. James felt there was more from Norwich because I don't, I've don't. i seen them a lot, but not yeah. enough. To... Again, going back to Redmond, Norwich are one of these that they can be an exciting team, but you sort of watch them and think, well... You're playing well here, but you've got to, it's, it's the story of their season almost. They're playing well, you think, but you've got to score whilst you're on yeah. top. And so many games, when they've been on top, they haven't scored at, at crucial times. And I saw Jermaine Defoe earlier on in the season at Crystal Palace, and I thought he was outstanding that night. And his hold-up play is better than mm. what people give you credit he's for. He's definitely improved as he got older. Yeah, yeah he's, he's experienced. And he's ideal for a big player in a big game like that is, is exactly what you need in your team. But looking forward... Um, I think I've got a question for Rory later about uh, Newcastle, but we'll just maybe just make that all about Rafa. So inevitably, do we agree that it's going to be two out of Norwich, Sunderland, and Newcastle? We're going to go down. There's no way Palace gets sucked back into it, unfortunately. No, I can see them all getting at least one or three points more to be absolutely safe. 
I don't think either of them teams that are left are going to get maximum points. So, yeah, it's out of them three. All right. So this is prediction time again. Not the last time you'll be asked this. Out of those three, who's staying up? Sunderland. Sunderland. Roy? Newcastle. Oh, the Rafa effect. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty it's remarkable. Not, it's, 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 it is partly out of hope for, for Rafa, obviously, but it's, it's also... Do you like Rafa more than you like Big Sam? Yes, I do, yes. Really? Uh, do you like Rafa more than you like Alex Neal? Do I like Rafa more than I, I like I, do, I like Alex Neal a lot, but yes, I mean, I, I like Rafa more. Do you like Would you rather go on holiday with, Rafa or Alex Neal? Where are we doing on holiday? You're going, uh, uh, you're, you're going trekking in, uh, in Patagonia. Uh, Alex Neal. There you go. Do you like Rafa more than your missus? No. Uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's only partly the Rafa thing. I actually think if you look at Newcastle's fixtures, yeah. you can see them getting at least nine. Well, not at least. They're, they're on well, they nine need points. nine points, don't they? They, they need, need three, win, three wins. Well, Liverpool really? way could be pretty tricky, I would think. Can you can you run me through Newcastle's fixtures, please? Man City, Man City at home. City, Liverpool away. Liverpool away. Uh, Palace at home. Villa away. Spurs at home. I so mean, three, three out of those five are big, tough fixtures. Well, Spurs could be a dead be, rubber, right? I think you, could you, be. you have to beat Villa and Palace, no question. That gets them to, what, 34. You can see them maybe nicking a point against Liverpool or nicking a point, against, a point against City. It comes down to whether the title is decided before the last game. Okay, so every year uh, there's two, for those who don't know, there's two Player of the Year awards or two mainstream Player of the Year awards. One is voted on by the football writers and comes very late in the year, and sometimes people like Scott Parker win it. The other one is voted on by the players. I think you have to turn on your ballots like in October or something absurdly early. Okay, it's not really October, but it is very, very early. In fact, the ballots are already in. And we have a short list of six players. Three Leicester players, N'Golo Kante, Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez. Uh, then it's Mesut Ozil from uh, Arsenal. Harry Kane for, of Spurs and Dimitri Payet from uh, West Ham. Matthew Syed makes a strong case that Jamie Vardy must win it because he's a good footballer and maybe not such a great person. You can go and read that on your own time. How about a basic will win, should win, like we do for the Academy Awards? since uh, you guys are, are are familiar with the drill. and Unless you want to tell a humorous story about how the footballers who vote on this don't take this seriously, and at some clubs, like the PFA rep goes and fills out all 25 ballots, and ha, 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 you're all laughing. This kind of stuff does happen, right? Were you the PFA rep, Scully, at your no. clubs? No? Did you, actually, did you actually take care to vote, or did you just like... Uh, some years I did. And other years you just scribbled in a name? No, I didn't. Other years I didn't fill it in. Paolo Di Canio voted for Roy Keane every single year that he played in England because he wasn't allowed to vote for himself. Um, let's start with you, Cass. Who will win and who should win? I mean, it's easy to get carried up with what's happened in the recent last few weeks. I mean, I think Mahrez has had an amazing season. I quite get why Vardy... Kante has been exceptional as well. All of them are in there. The Leicester, you could probably name half a dozen Leicester players. I think Mahrez will get it, personally, because I think his input into the early part of the year was sensational. A gold return from a wide man. Okay, not as many as Vardy, but creative assists. He's gone a little bit off boil of late, just not quite playing as well as he did. But I think over the course of the season, I'd probably give the edge for him. But very close over so should two he or three Leicesters. Should he? Your question is, I'm asking, will he win it? And you said yes. I think yes. he will win it, yeah. And should he win it? Yeah, I think he should, okay. yeah. I don't I don't see a lot to choose between a few Leicester players, to be honest. Roy? 
Uh, I think Mares will win it for similar reasons to Tony, but mainly because of the timing of the vote. I think that, that, that a lot of the ballots would have, would have been filled in at the point when Mares, who's tailed off a little bit in the last two or three weeks, uh, he was at his peak. Leicester's season's kind of gone in, in this arc of different heroes. So initially it was Vardy, then it was Mares, then Kante, and now it's the defence. But I think when the votes were submitted, Mares was the was the player at the peak of his form. The the one risk is that you wonder whether the, the Leicester vote might almost be split, and it might be that they split all of them between them, and then someone like Harry Kane sort of roars through. I think the person who should win it is probably Kante. So I think he's been Leicester's best player consistently throughout the season, whereas both Mares and Vardy have had. I dips. think most professional footballers will put someone from Leicester, Rory, as a. Do you think? Yeah, I, I can't see anybody in the in the game not voting for a Leicester player. No, I think Leicester's a Leicester player will absolutely hundred yeah. percent. So who's going to win it? You know, maybe Mares will do it, but I just think Vardy, hands down for me. You know, to to go on that goal scoring, I actually saw him break Van Nistelrooy's record. At a key time, especially around that Christmas period where, when games are thick and fast. And I just think he that goal-scoring period where, where he was absolutely on fire dragged Leicester from a, you know, we're having a good season here, right into the very, very mix. And I just think that the hardest thing to do on a football pitch is score a goal. And hopefully Cass will back me up. And for a lad to come through the leagues like he's done and then to go on that goal-scoring record this year for me. It, the answer's quite clear how the PFA voting's going to go. Rory's gone Kante, I've gone Mahrez and he's gone Vardy. Yeah. So that tells you it's absolutely going to be a Leicester player. Do you not think a lot of the lads in the lower leagues would look at Vardy and think, do you know what, fair yeah, play to him? Yeah, absolutely, of course. He's been really sensational. Point. And as a player my, myself that come from the lower leagues, what he's done has been beyond, well, it's just, it's like the Leicester story itself, them on the verge of winning the league. That's a really good point from Stroey, that the vast majority of people voting for the award will, are players in the lower leagues and they will see themselves in Vardy. And they will, that story will appeal to them much more than even Mares and Kante, who are great stories themselves. How about now for some quick hits? And we're going to have a slightly mini extended quick hit here because uh, uh, on Julian Lescott and Stan Collymore because the lads feel so strongly about him. Manchester City stomp all over Chelsea as Sergio Guero bags a hat-trick. Cass, are you one of those people who think they're hitting stride at just the right time to do something special in the Champions League? And actually, I wrote this question last night. But there's a more interesting question. With Kevin De Bruyne being fit all season, mm. would they be top of the league right now? Be closer. Would they be top? No, I still think defensive woes would be their problem. And uh, I made the point chatting to Rory last night that looking at Man City and Guardiola coming in and looking at Chelsea, I'm thinking... Guardiola ain't got to do a lot more than where Chelsea are. Chelsea were awful Saturday, Gab. They really were. Um, but then again, Chelsea's season is over. Uh, although they can still deny Spurs a title. Yeah. Big, big game. Which they Monday will try night. for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they'll also decide to help Leicester on the last mm. day of the season for obvious reasons. Jurgen Klopp plays a bunch of guys casual fans might not have heard of, and they go and win 2-1 at Bournemouth. Uh, Rory, pulling off the second greatest comeback in the club's history, kind of gives them a lot of license to do stuff like that, right? Yeah, I was a bit surprised when I saw how, how many changes he'd made, but then I guess with the derby on Wednesday, you can kind of understand it. I think that Klopp's in, in a quite fortunate position in the league, because he needs now to work out which guys he wants to take with him next season. And I think we might see that more and more over the next sort of five weeks. Klopp playing fringe players. He'll have to do it in midfield as Chan and Henderson both injured. Fringe players, but to basically establish where he needs to strengthen and who he, who, who he wants to keep. So people like Kevin Stewart, people like Shea Ojo, who looked really good yesterday. Randall. Ibe, they, all, they all now have kind of five weeks to prove themselves, essentially. 
Okay, so it doesn't really mean that people haven't noticed that they're just one spot above where they were when Brendan was booted. I think they have noticed, but I think the, the Europa League run has probably disguised it a little bit. Manchester United beat Villa 1-0, and they can um, at least keep their top four hopes alive for another week. Scoey, any positives not named Rashford, or are you just sick about talking about United? Um, Will you ever be sick of talking about United? No, going to Wembley on Saturday is a positive. Um, for what? Yeah. Oh, for that FA Cup thing? Pardon? For that, there's a, for that FA Cup competition? The greatest cup competition in the world. Yeah, exactly. I'm so excited about can that. Can we refer to it as the Football Association Challenge Cup, please? Yeah, sorry. It's a road to Wembley. Cup. Oh, no, we're at Wembley. <laughs> it's convenient. So, hang on, Stowe's positive from the Villa game. So yeah, not come on. Um, from next week, there's a cup semi-final. No, it was a dark game. Um, I wasn't actually there. I didn't see it, but apparently very dire. I love it when I invite people on to talk about games and they come out and they say, like, oh, I didn't see it. Because I read experts like you, so you just t- just tell me everything. I, I didn't need see to it know. either. Right? I only watched the highlights. But I'm not a United fan. You are, no. as I'm asking you. And I was actually told yesterday that Mourinho has got the job. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But the source was very good. I was told that at the weekend as well. Yeah, <laughs> I knew at the start of the season. <laughs> I think it's pretty much certain that Mr. Mourinho yeah. will be in M18 next season. <clears throat> Cass, your old club is officially down. Mm. Julian Lescott had the temerity to say that some of the weight was off the players' shoulders now, which sounds like something you might say when uh, you watch a loved one slip away after a long illness or a coma. (laughs) But now he's embroiled in a social media row with Stan Collymore, who uh, mocked him, uh, called him a not-nice word about a woman's anatomy that rhymes with the word bit, and then apparently... Stan says he accidentally uh, tweeted out uh, a conversation on direct message between him and Lescott, where Lescott says, I've been trying to talk to you. We need to settle this as men, something to that effect. I'm kind of confused. I know know Stan obviously cares about Villa very, very much. I don't know that stomping all over Jolly and Lescott is necessarily a way to show that. But then again, Stan stomped all over people at the club. He really has a major issue with, with, uh, with the way the club's been running, rightly so. But who do you side with in this one? Is it appropriate after you have failed mm. Cascarino <laughs> well, to come out and say, well, some of the weight is off the player's well, shoulders now? Is it okay to say that? It wasn't smart. No. Uh, I totally get, I, I don't get why Jolin would turn around and say, uh, you know, it's a weight off his shoulders. There are a lot of people at Villa Football Club, uh, from the fans and everybody upstairs, will feel that it was a complete and utter failure this year. But nor do I understand. But isn't he basically saying, look, it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Now it's but done. It now we can focus but, on the future. It, but it also feels like well, you've been waiting for that to happen. You've been, this is how it's felt for weeks of, you know, what really weight has it been on Jolin? It doesn't, it doesn't feel like the players have carried that weight. It just feels like it's, well, thank God it's over. Okay, you know, so you're just siding that. with Stan. No, well, I am, but I've got to say that I, th- I found it very embarrassing. Uh, from Stan Collymore, who I find a complete contradiction in so many ways. I mean, I listen to him when he goes on radio, and the, f- the words of I love football get shouted and bleated out on, on the airwaves. And Can I'm you do like, his accent? You used to live in the Midlands. Well, okay, but it was a guy that openly admitted that he hated football. He, which he's done on numerous times, and okay, Stan has Stan's got some inner demons, which he's made quite public, and he's a smart guy that does really daft things to me sometimes. And getting involved with Jolian and very personal, I just think that he didn't probably like it when he had the he took the tweet or the photo of uh, Instagram of his car, his brand new Lamb, which was a daft another daft thing to do from Lescott. That I think Stan took a great offense to that. When and his I, phone was in his pocket, you mean? Yeah. Is, is I, he- 
is the is the biggest sort of the thing that I found most bizarre about it was is Lescott challenging, whether in private or in public, challenging Collingwood to a fight. Mm. I just think that's... No, can I, I think I, Rory, I, can, can, I, just... I can answer that question, actually. No, I think he just wants to go talk to Have him and chat. say, yeah. you know, I don't mind if you criticize the way I play or whatever else, but this is not on and you're doing this personally yeah, and you have something personal against me. Yeah. I think that's what Lescott wants, actually, and, from Stan. And let's let's be honest. I mean, Jolien hasn't had a good season, but he can't be the only one responsible for Villa's downfall. There's well, a no, lot of it's other. You know, well, it's, no, uh, there's many, many people. But Stan's gone for the jugular with Jolien, which is a bit. Unfortunately, Stan has many players, ex-pros like myself and probably James. Have, we all played in the game, and we know people who played with Stan in the game at certain clubs he played for, and they were very critical towards some of the antics that Stan got up to. So there we, we now feel, hold it a minute, Stan. It's a little bit hypocritical for you to go for the jugular on Jolien. You, you've got to look at yourself sometimes. And it does feel that... Well, I felt he went way too far with Jolien, personally. You know, the first thing I said when I walked in, it's just embarrassing. Yeah, I it, feel it, the it's, same. Yeah, I, I've got nothing to add or say about it. I just, just why get involved? I, I don't... Well, there's one thing I struggle with. I'm trying, to, th- I'm trying to struggle with people's mentality that when you do that, thinking, you know, both profile people... Why do that? Because both of you are not coming out in a good light about yeah. it. And you can argue the toss, you can this, that, and the other. Why do it? Okay, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to stick up for Lescott a tiny bit here. He didn't do it in public. He was asked a question. I believe it was actually uh, after a game. I certainly took his answer to mean, look, we obviously screwed the pooch this season. This is really, really bad. But at least now we have we have closure and we can start rebuilding and bring this club back where, where, where it deserves to be. When, when he said, wait off my shoulders... That is how I took it. I didn't take it as like, all right, now you'll stop asking me about it. I can start planning my, my summer holiday, right? I, I mean, that, that's how I read it. He expressed it very badly, but I think that's what he meant. But the, the, it, it just strikes me that Lescott isn't prepared, quite prepared to take responsibility for, for what he's... Been part, part And it's not entirely his fault, like you hmm. say, but he's not prepared to take responsibility for his, for his entire part in the entire Villa demise. There was the, the incident with the chewing drum at Wickham, where him and Brad Guzan were, was, were playing kind of who can get the chewing drum further on the touch mm. line right in front of the fans, which again isn't a big offence, but annoyed the fans understandably. And once more, Lestrop was kind of, he gave an interview to our paper in which he kind of, he brushed over it and gave that kind of, kind of I care, I'm so hurt by this spiel. But his actions don't suggest that. And then to, to mm. get involved with, as Joey says, to get involved with Stan, and Stan is, I, I quite like Stan, but he's, you know, he is a kind of firebrand. He's very kind of, some would say melodramatic about football. He he has that kind of really hyped up kind of style, and that's done the style, and it works for him. It makes him a good broadcaster and all that. That's not a problem. But to get involved is just it just seems to be the case that given what's happened to Villa this season, and it, it sounds really harsh, should the players not kind of be sitting there and thinking, yeah, do you know what? We deserve all of this. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this little debate detour into quick hits. It just shows what a spontaneous show uh, this is. Uh, but we have two more quick hits to get through, so um, let's keep going. Newcastle beat up Swansea 3-0 on or around Rafa Benitez's birthday. Rory, how did you celebrate Rafa's birthday? By uh, staying in a mature hotel in Norwich, which is what he would have wanted. <laughs> is, 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 is that really what, what Rafa's wishes yeah, Rafa, would have been? Rafa, this is, this, is a, this is an exclusive, a, a game podcast exclusive. Rafa, in his spare time when he's not managing, actually likes to stay in a variety of mid-range hotels in small towns around Britain. It's one of his one of his favourite hobbies. Particular fan of the uh, the travel lodge in Dundee. Arsenal are held one one by Crystal Palace. Scoey, I guess given their run in that uh, that ends whatever title dreams Arsenal had, 
you can either talk about Arsenal or you can big up your old club palace undefeated in four games. We're back on Allen's bandwagon, right? Um, yeah, we will talk about Crystal Palace and I think it's a point that will guarantee that they'll stay in the Premier League because at one stage it did look a little bit dicey for them, didn't it? They were on a thin ice. Um, they like hadn't won before they beat Norwich. They hadn't, I think they've still only won once in 2016, is that right? Yeah, they're still on a very poor run. Another big game from the weekend there, uh, the chance to go to the uh, the FA Cup final against Watford. So I think it's a big point. They go to uh, the home of football on Wednesday night as well where they'll get past a death and they might get a nil-nil there, but a big week for them. Uh, did Barcelona really squander a nine-point lead and get knocked out of the Champions League in the past two weeks? How did that happen? I think maybe it's the past two and a half weeks. It's something like that. But it is it is remarkable. Uh, it's three defeats in a row in La Liga. I think the last time that happened was in 2003 when a nice man named Louis van Gaal was in charge of the club and, and that got on the sack. I put forth a, a very interesting theory in my, in my excellent column in uh, uh, the game supplement today which is that they've simply, the front three especially, have simply played too much football. Mm. Um, they've played something like more than 16,000 minutes in the past 12 months. It's uh, 18% more than, than Bayern Munich. It's something like 45% more than, uh, than Real Madrid. And, and those really are, are their peers when you, when you think about uh, European competition. The front three, I think between them, they've been substituted four times uh, this season. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And, and in the past 30 days, they have scored four goals. Mm. And the 30 days before that, they'd scored 19 goals. And the 30 days before that, I think it was 24, 26 goals. So there's clearly been a big dip. And, mm. and, and Luis Enrique has to go and, uh, I think, answer so some questions about this, about the lack of rotation, whether his hands are tied, yeah. the physical preparation. But I'll leave you with a hilarious joke that propped up in uh, in his um, post-match press conference, and a Spanish speaker like Rory might appreciate this more. Some dude named Victor Malo asked him uh, a question about the, uh, the team's physical preparation. And rather than answering the fitness question, Luis Enrique said, I'm sorry, what's your last name? And he says, Malo. Now, malo means bad in uh, in Spanish. And, uh, <laughs> and Luis Enrique says, correct. Next question. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it, it's just so freaking childish. Did yeah. that disappoint you? Did, did Gary Neville get any credit for Valencia's? I know he's gone, but the performance. You, no, now you're just being Ian Cass. Uh, Rory, did that disappoint you from Lucho? I was there in Madrid on, on Wednesday night. And he, he's quite spiky. He, yes, he is. He's not... He had a pop, I can't remember, remember exactly what he said, but he, he had a pop at one of the journalists and said, you're always asking that question, uh, rather than actually answering the question. So it, it, it doesn't, does it disappoint me? Not really. Uh, it, but it is, I mean, I always think that, that, that managers being kind of slightly aggressive or whatever with, with, with journalists is probably a sign of their own inattention rather but, but, than their but, actual kind of nastiness as people. So it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't surprise me. I'm not sure it disappoints me particularly. Right, that's all we've got time for this week. Many, many, many thanks to my guest today, the excellent Tony Cascarino, James Scowcroft, who traveled all the way here from someplace far, far to uh, the east of here. And thanks to the miracle of modern telephony and modern technology, Rory K. Smith joining us from the far north of England. Please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football highlights free as part of your subscription it's just 12 pounds for 12 week trial uh and by the way you don't just get the, your exclusive football highlights you get to read copy from 
The Times is excellent stable of writers, from Matthew Syed, who wins awards every year, to Henry Winter, who also wins awards every year, to uh, to George Culkin, who, for my money, is the best writer we have, to Rory K. Smith and myself, and to Tony Cascarino as well. Uh, so, till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.